Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ plus authors. I'm Anita Kelly and my guest today is Holly Went. Hi, Holly. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. Today is my official launch day and um, that's pretty, pretty wonderful. It's been a very long journey getting this book here, so very excited. That is very exciting. Awesome. Um, so today, the day that we are recording this is Tuesday, November 7th. Um, so that is awesome. And um, let's talk about that book. Okay. So sure. It's called Heading North. Is that correct? Correct. All right. And um, tell us about this. Okay. The, uh, the quick version. So in Heading North, Closeted professional ice hockey player Victor loses his clandestine boyfriend Nikolai and former team in a catastrophic plane crash and must rebuild his life in the NHL while playing for the only team in the league managed by a woman who also happens to be Nikolai's stepmother Lilia. Little nod to hockey's uh, dynastic uh, feeling. Then in in the novel, uh, Victor and Lilia grapple with their private griefs and imperiled personal and professional relationships while trying to keep their livelihoods in the sport that they love. Wow. All right. So, Holly, how did you come to write a book about ice hockey, which is pretty much a male-dominated sport, isn't it? Yes and no. Um, I mean, certainly when when I was growing up, I didn't know any women who played ice hockey, but I also didn't know any any actual people who played ice hockey. That was something folks did on TV. And then regular folks uh, in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, skated around um, very badly on ponds and so on. And I was one of those folks. But I was also a kid who loved sports and I had the good fortune of being in Pennsylvania in the 90s, the era of Lemieux and Yager. And so I fell in love with the Penguins, even though I could never actually watch them on television. But I had a friend who was also a woman who got me a a subscription to Sports Illustrated. So uh, we would read our Sports Illustrated and talk about sports and decorate our lockers with things we've cut out of them. And You know, then as I grew up and um, the internet arrived, I was able to really dive into my fandom. And um, I've actually done a lot of sports-based writing, particularly uh, baseball, um, both in fiction and nonfiction. And then in um, in 2011, when the locomotive Yaroslavl air disaster happened in September 2011, which is the real life plane crash mm-hmm. that inspired a lot of this novel, oh. I, I couldn't help but write this book. But I will also say that there are really exciting things happening in women's professional hockey right now. Um, they're complicated things. We keep having sort of leagues arrive and dissolve and re-arrive. And we're in one of those re-arrival processes now with the um, Professional Women's Hockey League. I read a little bit about that, that that was mm-hmm. happening. And um, I forget, I think were there like six or eight teams ready to go? Six, I believe. Okay. that That is really amazing. Um, and um, believe it or not, I had heard that um, I think it was down around Clearwater, Florida, or Tampa, maybe that um, 
it was a big area for women's ice hockey. I mean, that should be a big area for women's ice hockey and um, folks to get involved because one, of course, you would want to be indoors where the ice is if you lived in Florida. That's Um, very true. (laughs) But also, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning have had just a gorgeous run of success in recent years. So I would I would hope there's a little bit of just general interest in the sport. And though, um, as I'm sure we'll get into a little later, the NHL keeps falling backwards over itself. But despite that, still manages to occasionally um, put together an interesting hockey camp in a place where folks might be underserved for opportunities to learn about hockey, they do clinics, and um, sort of there is some attempt to try to grow the game a little bit. So I would love to see that really take hold. Yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic. So before we move away from this comment, before we get too far away from it, Mm -hmm. um, you said that you also enjoy the game of baseball. And do. do not tell me you like the Pirates no um i am from the middle of the state so i have no real definitive regional um affiliations which is how i ended up being a pittsburgh penguins fan but a philadelphia phillies fan all right you just redeemed yourself (laughs) yeah i mean and you know the phillies provide their fair share of suffering um (laughs) But, uh, you know, this year was pretty fun. Yeah, it was. Yep. Yep. They're always a fun team. But the pirates are excruciating. Um, And uh, hilariously, um, one of the characters in Heading North is a Pirates fan, long suffering 20 seasons of losing record. And it's it's just a little character detail, but I was definitely waving at that. Uh, That's great. That's great. So we'll call that a character defect. (laughs) (laughs) in his defense he is from pittsburgh Ah, okay all righty so um you have been interested in in ice hockey um and uh became interested in the penguins and then um that is what prompted you to write the book um like did you play you didn't play ice hockey obviously you said that not competitively um So a lot of pond hockey, um, you know, back when ponds froze regularly in the winter. Yeah. And um, (laughs) terrifying. Yeah. And then when I was in high school, um, my my dad and some of his friends, I'm not, I have no idea what sparked it. I think maybe one of my uncles and friends of his from work decided they were going to rent ice at a local rink. And by local, I mean still a 30-minute drive away. Okay. You know, Um. They were going to rent ice from like 10.30 to 11.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night. And my dad was like, sure, let's go do that. Um, So despite school and everything else, we would all trundle up there and play ice hockey, um, pick up in the most disorganized fashion for an hour once a week. Yeah. Um, And that was really amazing because it was 85% um, fully grown men, uh, who are all like dad age and then uh a handful of my brother's friends uh, my brother's three years older than i am and me and so the only not dude uh in the place Mm -hmm. and somehow 
no one ever suggested that I should not be there, which was amazing. And I, I will say maybe not to my face, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, no one ever discouraged me from from playing. And uh, despite the fact that I was at that point, like 15 years old and small and um, but very plucky, I think, uh, <laughs> and certainly one of the better skaters and, you know, had a good time. Um, So that was a really wonderful way to keep connected to the sport. And then again, honestly, I have to credit the, the access created by the internet for really falling hook, line and sinker, not just into uh, watching hockey, but hockey fandom. Um, Because I started writing this book in 2012, which was the heyday of kind of sports Twitter and all kinds of media coverage. It was before the disastrous, everyone pivoted to video situation that basically killed off so many fan blogs and gutted a whole bunch of sports departments, um, wow. or newspapers, um, sports departments, and you know, beat reporters and so on. Yeah. So in the, the 20 teens, teams were just pumping out Twitter feeds and special features and training camp videos and having the players do all these, frankly, adorable um, promo things. And so I just essentially got a backstage pass just by virtue of paying attention to all these things that we could never have known 10 years before that. Yeah. So um, that combination of access to really feel like I understood a lot of the things that were happening, not just on the ice, but sort of in the periphery, mm-hmm. you know, how equipment rooms are run and what trainers do and what kind of goofy things they ask the players to do to kind of drum up fan base. And then and then this uh, plane crash happened and my favorite Penguins player, Evgeny Malkin, um, and obviously a whole lot of other Russian players, um, you know, had this really massive outpouring of support. And then I got the access to what were the memorial services like? How is the team going to be rebuilt? And that just acted really, really quickly in my brain. And then the characters arrived kind of fully formed. They're all original, not based on any any real real people. I don't want to be sued. Um, <laughs> that's important to yes, me. Yep. Um, but then that was a really beautiful kind of playground to be able to invent some new teams um, because all the main characters, every team that they play on is completely invented for the purposes of the novel, but they do play against teams that are real. And so, you know, there was a lot of waking up at oh dark 30 in the morning to watch uh, on, to watch hockey in like Siberia, uh, oh on a feed I couldn't understand, <laughs> oh you know, yeah. to get get the feeling of what are those arenas like and what does the pace of play like. And, you know, I'm somebody who really likes liking things. So that was also kind of easy to fall into and uh, fall in love with the process of researching and absorbing. Yeah. So um, that is really, I'll say, a dedicated uh research project like really to get up that early and and, and watch (laughs) it um like what other kind of research did you have to do for this book um 
So outside of the um, actual hockey stuff, um, a lot I did read a handful of books uh, about about and by players who had coach who had played or coached in Russia to get a sense of what are some of the differences there. Um, and I also teach um, at a Division three uh, small liberal arts college, and I have a lot of hockey players as students. Mm -hmm. And so just sort of listening to them, you know, what's their banter like, what's their uh, vocabulary specific to the sport like. Um, and uh, though this was not in planned research, my spouse sort of fortuitously took a softball to the face. And uh, so I got to watch the process of a chin being stitched up. And weirdly enough, the the hospital um, tech who was doing the stitching didn't find it that strange that I was standing there with a notebook taking notes. Um, That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my so. goodness. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I feel well they, supported. <laughs> yeah, they probably see it all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Right. So, so your spouse took one on the chin for you. Yeah, very much. And again, was not too, uh, too surprised to see me there being like, I don't like blood or gore, but this is so useful to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so they were probably like, do you really care that this is happening to me? Or is this all about the book? Well, <laughs> <laughs> once you find out like, well, you're fine. There's no lasting damage. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Then it's about the research. Yeah, definitely. I, I can understand that. Yeah. So, um, you know, the the NHL, you know, you mentioned um, has really uh, taken a, a stance against gay pride. It almost seems like um, they they that that was just last year, right? Yes. Yeah. So they came out and said that they were not allowing players to uh like wear uh, pride jersey like every other athletic team does um and they weren't even allowing like any kind of like stickers or emblems anything on any equipment um so you know that was i thought that took it just another step further um and it and it seemed like to be coming from a pretty homophobic place because there were a couple of just a couple of yeah, players six six players yeah six or seven that said hey i'm not doing that well okay don't do it mm -hmm. um i was like shocked um yeah and i think a lot of that has to do with at its root hockey culture is incredibly conformist yeah um even to the point of you know detriment to one's physical health um, after the playoffs end, there's always a list of what sort of horrific injuries somebody was playing through during the playoffs because you don't want to sort of disrupt the thing that's going on. And so all the pressure, and I think even from youth hockey on up, is to not rock the boat. Yeah. The nice thing is, at least in response to the pride, pride tape ban um, specifically, is that it took exactly one player Travis Dermott from the Arizona Coyotes 
just deciding he was going to do it anyway. Yeah. And the decision was reversed the next day, which suggests to me that there was not a whole lot of real buy-in or authority behind that decision to ban it. I think the league just thought that the culture is so conformist, they could put out this sort of milk toast, mealy mouth ban and folks would just go with it. But instead, that did not happen. And uh, that's at least good. Yeah. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping this is not permanent steps backward. Do you, do you see it changing? Do you think like things are going to go back to the way they were and, 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 you know, what would be the impetus for that? What will cause um, a major change like that? I think the only way it's actually going to change is because of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, not and the I fans. will s- not really because the NHL, I don't think, cares a whole lot about their fans or they would do a lot of things differently, even to the level of how they schedule things. The NHL schedule is just wacky. Is it? Um, like, you'll have 13 games one night and then two games. And, you know, even on like Sunday and Monday, um, Sunday afternoon, just a very few games um, because they don't want to c- try to compete with football. Oh, yeah. That makes sense, though. But, you know, that also shuts out all the people who would love to watch some hockey on the weekends because most of us can't stay up as late as we would like to watch on Tuesday night, for example. So I do think, um, well, I do think money talks. Mm -hmm. So if there was enough fan response in such a way that it caused financial implications, that would be one thing. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the real impetus for change is going to be the players. And I say that because so much of hockey's administration, the general managers uh, and so on who are making decisions about what happens on teams are former players. Mm -hmm. And so as current players sort of age into those off ice positions, I think that's where the change is going to come from. And I will say with, because I am an optimist, I don't know how else to get through life without hoping a little bit. Yeah. I have seen much more openness and acceptance among younger players. And, you know, my students is usually the group that I'm talking about. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I come from, like, the school I'm at is a small rural college in Pennsylvania. Most of the students are drawn from the six counties surrounding it. And even there, you know, no one really bats an eye about being asked to give their pronouns. It's my students who are much better about honoring those in a general way. Yeah. It's um, it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And after the NHL um, did their misguided, silly um, ban on Pride Tape, a whole bunch of players spoke out about it and said, "This we don't like this. This, this was not our choice. Yeah. Um, Although I do think it is also telling that it it was one relatively unknown player <laughs> who challenged it, not one of the superstars, yeah. which was a little disappointing. I'm yeah. like, come on, let's see Connor McDavid do something. I know Sidney Crosby won't, you know. They, they I all love seem Sid, to be but he's quiet. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't um, even hear any commentary about it one way or the other. 
Yeah, and if you if you sort of dug around, um, folks were talking about it, and the Pride Tape producers actually said that immediately they got inundated with orders. Oh. So that's cool. That's very cool. Um, and so I think it was just a matter of one player decided he was not going to wait for any kind of special occasion, but just, you know, do it and see what happens. And what happens was that the NHL immediately undid that silly thing. Yeah. Yep. That's, so. that's awesome. Good, good for him that, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, that was a gutsy move on his part. Yeah. And he talked specifically about that. Um, you know, he is not well known. He is not a superstar. There could be real life contractual implications for him. Yeah. You know, no one is going to bench um, Sidney Crosby. No one is going to bench uh, Connor McDavid. But, you know, Travis Dermott doesn't necessarily have next season locked up. And so, that kind of reaction also gives me hope because surely he is not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And is he, <clears throat> excuse me, is he a younger player? Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. That really is. Yeah. I think, you know, um, generationally speaking, um, you know, it is the older, not, not even Gen Z. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to say older boomers, maybe. Because definitely not, I don't think, younger boomers, um, I don't know, uh, who really um, have a problem with pronouns and, um, you know, just allowing people to be who they are, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even sure it's generational so much as whatever group of folks have never had the opportunity or have stepped outside of their comfort zone to interact with folks who are not like them. Yeah. And um, money and whiteness are really powerful insulators for that. Yeah. And so if you're constantly surrounded by like-minded folks with the same priorities, it's, it's hard to see that. And so I like to believe that everyone can be educated um, yeah. sort of condition for, for my career. Yeah. So, you know, again, <laughs> yes, hoping out of business. <laughs> yeah. Hoping for that. And also on the heels of that, the NHL was one of the first leagues to have players actively jump on board with the, you can play project, which was founded in 2012 to specifically fight homophobia in sports. So weird. And and it was founded by, again, one of those hockey dynasty families, the Burks. Um, Brian Burke is uh, currently a general manager, has managed multiple teams, has played. And his youngest son, Brendan, was the equipment manager for the University of Ohio, University of Miami University of Ohio, Ohio University, Miami. Um, it's Miami University of Ohio. There, yeah. there we go. Yes. Um, for their hockey team, and Brendan was gay, and he uh, tragically lost his life in a car accident. And so his, one of his other brothers and um, some, some family friends started the You Can P Play Project in honor of Brendan. And this comes out of one of the really influential hockey families and very quickly there was relatively 
um, notable support in the NHL. So for the NHL to be doing this sort of backwards tumble is infuriating. Yeah, it is. It really is. It makes no sense. Um, I just didn't understand it then, still don't understand it. It seemed like a knee-jerk reaction. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're just not... Uh, not willing to swallow their pride and say, yeah. hey, we were wrong about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe next year. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, I just want to uh, switch gears here. And um, you said you're, you're a professor. What are you teaching? I am the director of creative writing. Ah. And um, also someone who teaches uh, widely across the English and creative writing curriculum because it's a small liberal arts college and we all teach everything. So I also teach sports lit. I've taught a little bit of sports writing. I have a baseball literature class and I'm also a medievalist. So you do a little bit of everything. I teach the fiction and nonfiction workshops as well. Geez, how many classes a semester are you teaching? For for every semester plus whatever independent studies need to happen, so it's we keep busy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, you're kind of engulfed in the writing world, and and have you always wanted to be a writer? Weirdly enough, I have. Well, I mean, I did have the uh, paleontologist, marine biologist uh, foray that oh, yeah. all like nine year olds have. Oh yes, but. But then basically, by the time I turned 10, uh, and I had some really wonderful elementary school teachers, oddly enough, who encouraged me immensely in reading and writing. When I was 10, I was like, I want to be a college professor, oh, which is, it's really funny because I'm a first generation college student. I don't, I didn't know any college professors. Wow. And I wonder where that came from. I think it it must have been I had teachers who talked about the kinds of things that they did in college, and that sounded like a thing that I liked because oh. um, I was a huge nerd, loved school, still kind of love school, and um, never actually left it. So yeah, I just kind of threw threw all of my passion behind that, and it weirdly worked out, which is you know. Mm -hmm. really strange because the odds are not good no. for that no no, uh, no they're not like you know uh, even if you start out in that profession um mm -hmm. you know a lot of people don't stick with a profession that they chose as a 10 year old right. you know um, yeah wow so um you i'm assuming then that you were formally trained as as a writer and went to school that's what your undergrad and grad degrees are in Yes, I have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a PhD all in English with creative writing concentrations or specializations. And um, I also have a graduate minor in medieval studies. And uh, so it's been it's been this very direct track. Um, I also didn't take any time off during my educational path. So just sort of straight through and one of the wonderful things about doing that process is that I have always been kind of in the classroom and as somebody who had the good fortune to be a, a graduate teaching assistant, 
I then also got some formal training in how to teach writing, which is very different than being able to do writing. Yeah. And, you know, worked as a writing center tutor and um, also had a Spanish minor in undergrad, which was so useful for learning grammar. And I keep telling my students that I'm like, learn the second language. You will, your English will thank you because you will finally know what the parts of speech are in an <laughs> intimate way that native speakers never really have to learn. Not it yet. just works. You yeah. just do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I don't even know. Do, do uh, kids learn grammar in school anymore? Not really. Um, every once in a while, you find a batch of students who had a very exacting teacher somewhere along the way in K through 12. But mostly that doesn't get taught, not in the kind of diagramming sentences way that some of us remember. Oh, yeah. And I love, you know, to diagram sentences. I love it's it. It's so fun. Yeah, it is. It is. It was uh, one of my favorite classes. Um, so um, are you currently working on anything then? Um, I mean, you're teaching for classes, you're doing other odds and ends around campus, um, you know, uh, I don't know. Are you, do you have time to write? I, I have to have time to write because I am so much better a person when I am writing than when I am not writing. Okay, so it's kind of like for someone working out. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, and uh, so I am working on a novel, which is just a complete and utter gear switch from heading north. And my current project is a retelling of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night oh. that is set in, you know, when Twelfth Night is set in, in its original using those characters. And I'm just making them deal with all of the unsatisfying parts of the ending of that play. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, and and so this is um, like what you're currently working on. Do you have like a um, a publication date for that or? No, that book okay. is still very much in in being completed phase. I've about 80% of the way through the third draft. So it's it's very much a work in progress. Okay. That's a third draft. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, November is National November Writers Month. Yes. Um, and are you participating in that? I am. I do not do NaNoWriMo the way you're supposed to. Okay. Because the deal is you're supposed to start a brand new project, 50,000 words in the month of November. But November is the most stressful month of the year for most academics, perhaps tied only with April. And so it's just never going to be in the cards for me to do that particular thing. And especially not this particular November because I'm launching a book, which is also new and very time consuming and exciting. Yeah. But what I do instead is set out some sort of modest and achievable goal and then just sort of enjoy that wave of writing bonhomie that floats through the atmosphere during November and everyone's excited and everyone is sort of beautifully unhinged about it. And yeah. I find in, uh, I find the enthusiasm to be very, very contagious and it helps me get through, you know, 
the beginning of the long dark of winter, which I really appreciate too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Uh, November is is a tough month, and I know they started like a July camp. Um, mm-hmm. So um, that's even tough. It's just tough. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of lots of other modifications. So Writer's Digest is doing a poem a day in November, oh. and then April is. National Poetry Month, and so there's lots of April write a poem a day challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a couple of people who really like to write short things who are doing write a new flash fiction every day of the month of November, which uh, is cool. That's fun. That's fun. Um, yeah, I was just talking uh, to someone uh, who I was doing some work with today, and um, she is uh, she's a published author, and she is um, for November just doing some editing work and and mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what I'm doing too so um nice. hopefully we'll get through it. Um, yeah. It's it's not the fun part. No. <laughs> <laughs> so so who are some of your favorite authors? Oh, I love this question. Um yeah. and I have a I have a lot. Um there are a handful of folks it doesn't matter what they write. I'm going to I'm going to go out and get it immediately. Um writers like Alexander Chi and Andrea Barrett Louise Erdrich, Garth Greenwell, Sarah Waters, Andrew Sean Greer, kind of anything, I'm, I'm there. And then I have a handful of sp- favorite sports novels because I do love a really good sports book and um, some ones that have been really influential to me recently. Emily Nemens' is The Cactus League, Chad Harbaugh's The Art of Fielding, um, Richard Wagamese's novel Indian Horse. And it's not a novel, but Uh, The Scottish writer A.L. Kennedy wrote this really intense memoir um, slash investigative journalism piece called On Bullfighting that was just a super profound and kind of world-rocking reading experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Um, hmm. Wow. So um, those are... So any any books by those authors then would be like some among your favorite books. Oh yes, yeah. Um, I have a really hard time picking favorite favorites. Ah, okay. Yeah. When when pressed, also if I I will just go back to Beowulf because <laughs> that's yes. very old, and I've probably yes. read that more times than anything else, or Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. which is just a perpetual favorite. Yes. Um, yeah. Some of the classics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Very cool. So, um, you are with who's your publisher? I I don't remember that. It's Braddock Avenue Books. They are a small press, um, housed uh, in the outskirts of Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the folks who who run the press are kind of all over the place. Okay. And how did you choose them? So um, I first found out about them because I met one of the co-founders, Jeff Condren, at the Sewanee Writers Conference. And then some folks that I knew uh, published books with Braddock, um, particularly Curtis Smith, um, whose novel Love Pain from them is really beautiful, and Shane Griffith's uh, Scrapple, which is a Philadelphia novel. Um, Really? Yeah. And... uh, those two writers um, and those two books in particular made me really excited 
um, about Braddock. And then I did submit my manuscript uh, sort of on the eve of ye old pandemic. And so that slowed everything down for everyone. So it's been a little while between submission and then acceptance and then from acceptance to publication. But um, yeah, I was, I was really pleased with the way their books looked and how they were designed. And then of course the actual stories in them. And I'm super pleased to have also had the benefit of a Savannah Adams cover who uh, just did such a lovely, lovely job with a very slapdash bit of an idea that I had because I have no visual skills in that way. <laughs> yeah, the cover is look uh, looks great. It really does. Uh, I took a peek at it. Um, you know, they did good, great work. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So, um, you, uh, I was just going to say, you are with Braddock Books, and um, the book comes uh, is heading north, and it comes out today. So, how would our listeners um, access your book? So, I would say the most direct option is the Braddock Avenue Books website. Um, and uh, there are links to that all over uh, my website, hollymwend.com, or just throw it in the old internet search bar, of course. Um, <laughs> it is it is also listed on Amazon. Um, okay. Of course, we have to say that because it it's convenient, mm-hmm. I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is. And now and, you can follow your favorite authors on Amazon. Oh, nice. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, they have Very a cool. follow button. Yeah. Nice. Um, and uh, it's not in libraries and so on yet, but if folks are interested in taking it out from their library, it is always a great idea to request the books that you love from your local libraries. And so they can get a copy and then you can read it and then somebody else can read it. And that's just a beautiful ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. We live near a uh, university and we uh we're able to join their library you know oh nice yeah it is it's great it's great especially in the summertime when there are very few people on campus you can park right there and (laughs) just walk in there yeah it's great it's a it's a really great thing to have in the community um so um you are are you touring with your book um doing book signings readings that kind of thing I am doing a little book tour. Um, my, I'm having a little launch party tomorrow, November 8th, at Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And oh, my then, God. I was just going to say you should check them out. That's so oh, cool. Oh, I love that. I, they are my favorite bookstore, and um, they just did a truly fabulous book festival, the Harrisburg Book Festival. Yes. And had a oh, killer lineup. Nice. Oh, we had such a good time. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I love, they are one of my, definitely one of my favorite bookstores. Um, we, we probably live maybe an hour from there. Um, mm. So we uh, love to go there. Yeah, they are great. Um, Phenomenal. Yeah, that's awesome. So tomorrow you'll be there. Yes. And then um, starting on November 16th, I'm doing a little trek north. Um, I will be headed to Windsor, Ontario. Beckett, Massachusetts, and Ithaca, New York, for a little um, road trip of uh, bookstores with readings and book signings and um, an opportunity to read at the Dream Away Lodge Reader Series uh, 
in Beckett, Massachusetts. Um, and then when I am in Ithaca at Buffalo Street Books, I have the distinct privilege to be in conversation with Jennifer Savron Kelly, who wrote the beautiful novel and papers that came out in February about a genderqueer bookbinder in post 9-11 New York that I just love to bits and pieces. Well, I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Very cool. Great. Well, that's quite a road trip you're taking. And then I'll come back to Pennsylvania, do um, an event at my local library, which I'm stoked about. And um, the the Bricks reading series hosted by Blue Stoop in Philadelphia. So I will also make a little swing into Philly and then we'll see what else the new year brings. I do have a, a reading in Pittsburgh in January after after the holidays are done with the absolutely luminous Claire Beans. Nice. Very nice. You know, it just occurred to me, I will actually be in Harrisburg tomorrow. Um <gasps> But I probably won't. Your your reading is probably late later in the evening, seven p.m. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, I I am probably will be home by then. Um, yeah, I'm at a a conference all day, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope it's fun, like fun conference, not not dry conference. Oh, me too, <laughs> me too. But it's always good. I always see. I I go to it every year as an annual conference, and I get to see a lot of the people who you know I I work with. Uh, and don't get to see except for at the conference. So um, it's nice. But uh, yeah, wow. So have fun tomorrow at Midtown. That's Thank great. You. I follow them on social media. So I will look for their pictures about your event. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, and I will, uh, I, I, if I can, I can repost them too on uh, the Liz Talk About Book site. Um, nice. All right. So, Holly, it has been great talking with you. Um, and uh, we are about out of time. So I'm just wondering if you have any party words for our listeners. First and foremost, um, just gratitude. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to you so much for um, chatting with me about Heading North and all other um hockey and sundry things <laughs> but as parting words i would have to say be excited about the things that you like nice nice Th those are great words to live by right yeah. yeah um life is too short to to be worried about being cringe or um not wanting to show too much enthusiasm you know yeah right have yeah. fun with your have fun with your fun yeah it's cool to be to be like nerdy right and it sure is and, and show you know show some emotion uh, mm -hmm. that was a song by Joan Armitrading <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, when I said it I was just like oh hey <laughs> so wow so that is great um, you know be excited by the things you like um, and get out there and check out Holly Wentz uh, release to today uh, of Heading North um, that is available um, through Braddock Avenue Books um, or wherever you buy your books. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. So thank you again, Holly. It has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, and we are out of time. I'm Anita Kelly. And thanks for joining Liz Talk About Books, baby. So until next time, may your journey be lighthearted. Peace be plenty and be safe, folks. <laughs>